Welcome to the Rocksteady Way podcast, hosted by music education pioneer and author, Mark Robinson, and co-host, music teaching guru, Rachel Hawker. From the classroom to the stage, the Rocksteady Way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Rocksteady Way podcast, where we'll be talking about what makes a great music teacher. We'll be talking about music teachers as role models. We'll be talking about the musician part of a music teacher. We'll be talking about communication skills that are needed. And we'll be talking a little bit about how to create a great learning experience. So let's start with the idea of music teachers as role models. What does being a role model mean? Well, to me, it means being somebody that people want to learn from. Mm -hmm. Now, that can mean... You know, having flashy skills on the instrument, but it often runs quite a lot deeper than that to aspects of character that your students are going to want to emulate or something that they're going to aspire to within you as a teacher. What's been your experience of uh, being both a music teacher and a role model, Rachel? Yeah, it's a funny thing to think about, isn't it? You don't necessarily think about yourself as a role model, but actually when I think back to early days of teaching, uh, you know, when I was in those early 20s feeling a bit self-conscious actually a, a lot of the time I was thinking I wish I was as awesome as the kids think I am and right, okay. it's just a really interesting kind of thing to think about because ultimately what you're doing in teaching is showing not only the skills but showing things like overcoming challenges showing the way to encourage others if you can watch somebody else be encouraging others and and not scared of other people's success you know that's all really important skills to learn and to be able to learn that it's okay to make mistakes and and get past those and if you can be a part of that journey that that's everything you know aspiration is everything and if kids see something that they want to emulate that's a really great thing and I think one thing not to underestimate is the the kind of impact you can actually have in just one lesson a week. Yeah, it's huge. I remember when I was at university, um, I met somebody at a bar um, who was who was at the same university who was studying uh, child psychology, and he said that his area of fascination was how very very small events in a child's life could totally alter the course yeah. of their life and he said he was becoming very conscious of small things that parents say to children things like that and that all has always really stuck with me mm. and um, I've always been very aware of it whenever I've been teaching that actually you've got a huge responsibility here yeah um, and as we started uh, to build Rocksteady we had to hire more and more music teachers and one thing that we found was that if the teacher that we were hiring was that inspirational character that the children felt oh there's some aspect of that character that I'd like to be like Mm. that was the right starting point it's not the whole picture of being a great music teacher but it's really good starting point and in the early days when I was teaching and I had a a rock steady shirt on I remember overhearing a discussion from some of my students who were playing in one of the bands saying um, they were arguing about rock steady not being a music teaching company one of them thought it was they were like no rock steady is a band so right. Mark is in Rocksteady the band and he comes in to, to show us how to be in a band. So they were seeing me as a musician first who was helping them, yeah. not as a music teacher. And, and yeah. I did a little bit of sort of quizzing around that uh, with some of my students afterwards because um, I was teaching every class in the school at the time. And it turns out their perception of a musician is very different from their perception of, of a music teacher. Yeah. So it seemed to be quite important that they were perceiving uh, me as a musician um, as part of the inspirational piece. Yeah, it's that 
kind of credibility isn't it you know you're somebody who who loves music and is out there doing it so suddenly that becomes more engaging and aspirational it's oh it's this mark from rocksteady this is awesome it's not you know mr robinson it's mark from rocksteady and i think that's massive first and, name terms as well help, don't they? <laughs> first that, name yeah. terms definitely help yeah it's a it's a it's a funny one isn't it because i think i the thing that i always think is that you know children may not necessarily have many positive role models in their life you know we work with all sorts of walks of life in in rocksteady and absolutely being a part of that even if it's just for half an hour a week is huge and if you can bring a little bit of light to their eyes and and create an environment where they feel safe and they've got some really positive stuff that they're learning from you like that is equally as important as the music piece for me you know being somebody that is is showing up and right guys this is what we're going to do and helping bring everybody together that's just as aspirational as you know being an amazing musician I think being somebody that can engage others and help celebrate together I think is really important yeah I totally agree with that so that's a key quality that we would note down and that we definitely look for in our teachers is being a positive person yeah um positivity did I say that right positivity yeah there you go positivity (laughs) as it was coming out my mouth I was like is this going to come out right um but yeah I mean it's incredibly important It, it has an effect on everyone around you and certainly if you're teaching a group of children um, but this would um, work if you're teaching adults as well. I mean, yeah. I think if you're teaching adults, the same concepts definitely apply. Um, you need to be able to do the thing and, you know, confidently, happily, enthusiastically demonstrate the thing that they want to learn. I mean, I had a lot of adults coming to me in the noughties as a private guitar tutor wanting to learn to play Wonderwall or yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit or something like that. They'd somehow missed out on that in their, their childhood or their teenage years and they wanted to do that. So just me being able to do that with a smile on my face and explain why it was awesome was enough. That that was, again, acting as that sort of positive role model as a, a guitarist. We don't often think of ourselves as seeking out role models as adults, but we, we probably do. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, my band that I work with, the guitarist is absolutely phenomenal. Now, I know that I'm never going to be as good as him <laughs> on the Sam guitar. Bell? Sam Bell. Yeah, so you told me about him, and then I looked him up online, and then I got a lesson with him, because, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, right. I mean, he's a phenomenal guitarist, and one of the things that I admire the most about him, rather than his technical ability, is that he's always learning. I will play some simple finger-picking pattern, and he wants to know exactly what it is and that is massively inspiring for me it's like you know so much yet you're always learning from everybody else and I think you know wherever you are in your life having somebody to to watch and learn from is a really great thing and accepting you don't know everything nobody ever knows everything so how can you continue to learn that can be a good thing to role model in itself yeah so that's another really positive quality that yeah. you look for in a role model is I guess that's being humble, isn't it? Yeah, um, definitely. And sort of um, knowing that you're still on the journey yourself of learning and actively modelling that being on the journey and that learning yeah. in yourself so that your students can see how you're doing it as well. Absolutely. As being quite important. Well, I've got an example of one of the teachers I had when I was about 16. Okay. Um, who was an incredible guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, could literally play anything you threw at him and did play anything, um, <laughs> even the things you didn't throw at him. He, oh, he right. was um, <laughs> he was great, and um, he he wanted you to to know it. Um, but I didn't learn with him for very long because, unfortunately, all the other role model qualities we've been talking about were entirely absent. Um, yeah. The lessons were a mixture of him 
playing very well and and demonstrating that he could um kind of you know scaring you into thinking if you didn't practice a lot you wouldn't be as good as you needed to be by the age of 16 which meant you were possibly going to be a a failure forever and also um really talking down about other musicians and talking mm. about other musicians being uh rubbish here and rubbish there so might have technically been a great guitar player um he certainly picked material for me that was really appropriate and uh, you know I could learn a lot from and all of that so sort of had one half of it together but unfortunately probably not the important half when it comes to being a music teacher. He wasn't somebody you wanted to learn from. Wasn't somebody I wanted to learn from so yeah that's an example of when it it can't work and that's why it's really important to pick a role model that you do want to learn from Um, otherwise that longevity just isn't going to be there we we can't live off great musicianship alone as music teachers yeah you want somebody that you're happy to go on a journey with and who you feel okay to to not understand something with and I think sometimes the most technically amazing musicians aren't necessarily the best at explaining what they can do or um, transferring that or understanding and breaking down the process it's something I used to do when teaching guitar to younger children was turn my guitar around left-handed so that I remembered just how complicated what I was teaching them to do was oh that's brutal isn't it it is <laughs> yeah. you know okay but why can't they get this c chord it's ridiculous it's, it's really easy and then you turn your guitar upside down and try and play it left-handed and it's impossible it's so hard to coordinate your fingers and to squeeze hard enough and that that perspective i think is an important factor definitely from the classroom to the stage the rock steady way now a question that i see sort of popping up um online quite a lot is how good do you need to be um to be a music teacher and i remember an early experience i was at a guitar camp um, run by a guy called Matthias Eklund in mm. Sweden. Um, he, yeah, phenomenal uh, guitar player. It was really exciting for me as a 17-year-old to go along. And um, there was a guy on that, um, one of the questions he asked um, at the beginning, he said, um, who here is a musician for a living? And, and I actually was at the time. I was doing gigs and teaching. So I was the only person who put my hand up in the room. And then I got yeah. sort of swamped by the other guitarists afterwards. And one guy said, so you're a teacher? I said, yeah. He said, so you're, you're as good as Matthias then? I went, no. I was like, if, <laughs> if you had to be as good as him to, um, you know, to teach, there'd probably only be about 20 guitar teachers in the world. Yeah. So um, no. And um, he said, well, how can you possibly say you can teach people then? And well, most people um, come along actually wanting to be able to play their favorite song. And it just so happens I probably play 99.9% of songs that have been written yeah. and I'm able to help them doing that. So, um, you know, y- you don't necessarily have to know everything or be the highest level of uh, example of, of whatever instrument you're teaching, but I think you do need enough headroom to be able to both play the the thing that your student wants to learn and to be able to explain it and interpret how they're best going to learn it so yeah you need a bit of headroom really don't you yeah the way I always explain it to our our teachers who basically have to be kind of adapt on all four instruments that we teach so keys drums singing and guitar multi-instrumentalist multi-instrumentalist yeah. 
It's about staying one step ahead of the children and being confident enough to know what that next step is for the child. And, you know, it might get to a point where the children definitely overtake you. You know, I've been teaching drums for a a very long time to children in bands, yet I would not call myself a drummer. I'm a drummer that can impress five-year-olds, but slightly (laughs) less impressive to adults. Um, But it was about kind of showing them what they could do at a much slower speed and then saying, I'm sure you'll be able to do that much better than I can. And it was more about the delivery. So I, I, you know, one thing I was thinking about this question was it's also about how good your ears are as a musician. I don't necessarily think you have to be technically the best on an instrument to be able to teach it. You know, I I said in the last podcast, I'm not the best guitarist, but I feel like I'm a good guitar teacher. In fact, I'd say... I'm probably a better guitar teacher than I am a singing teacher. Yet if I were to rate my instrumental skills, I would say I'm a better singer than I am a guitarist. You know, I I sing, that's my thing, and I play guitar to support it. But I feel like I can teach guitar. Singing's a very tricky thing to teach because it's so personal and there's no, right, press this button, that button. So it's a much trickier concept, but... Is that also, because this is a really interesting topic, isn't it? Is it also, does singing come naturally to you, would you say? Yeah, I've been singing for a very long time. Yeah, so if singing's something that came naturally, naturally is it slightly trickier to teach somebody who's struggling with that who it hasn't come naturally to than say the guitar that you learned from scratch and very consciously had to build your skill with am I interpreting that right or yeah is that... absolutely the thing with singing is that you can't visually show somebody anything they're doing it's all 100% oral and if you're somebody who's very orally aware naturally it comes much easier than it does you know I always say you can actually teach anybody to sing in tune I, I believe you can teach people to sing in tune the thing that people are very conscious of is the tone of voice and that's yep. the bit that you can't teach somebody that's the bit that's kind of there or not and it develops over time but yeah singing's a fascinating one to teach and I don't think you have to be an amazing singer to be an amazing singing teacher yep. uh, and the same with with guitar you know certainly that's been my experience but it's about having that passion to deliver it and having that ability to know what you don't know I think is a really important thing teaching secondary school kids in schools drums and saying this is the fill but you're going to do it much better than this um being able to 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 kind of address your own cynic and that I am not great on this instrument but here you go this is kind of what I want you to do and then being able to interpret it and 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 nail it you know so I I definitely think it's it's a it's a it's a learning curve for everybody involved because as a teacher you you what you're doing there is you're still supporting the students in their progress right yeah and you're actually enabling their progress even though you can't necessarily do the thing that you're helping them progress with like a, a lot of world-class jazz musicians still have teachers yeah. who are probably not performing to the same level as them, but they can unlock something that helps the the move forward. There's clearly value being delivered in some way, shape or form. And I've got a, a similar um, sort of background um, with my first instrument's guitar and singing would, of the four that we teach, that would be my weakest. Mm-hmm. But I had a experience quite early on in teaching where I had to cover for a singing teacher and if you're like me and you're not a natural singer you think oh no but what happened quite quickly was I realized I was getting really strong results Mm. out of the singers and they didn't actually care that I wasn't a great singer yeah I because I'd had to work really hard to even do backing vocals in my band I actually understood a great deal about 
the technique and how to overcome some of those pitching obstacles and and some of those things that might come very easily to some people they didn't come easily to me so I could yeah. really help with that and I had a whole bunch of tools up my sleeves to help with that and, and that really opened my eyes to it sort of thinking well yeah I mean you I think you do need to be um, a, a base level you need a base level of musicianship right and that's yeah. coming back to what you were saying about you need good ears yeah um, I think certainly to teach modern music it's yeah. really helpful if you've got great ears. So much of my teaching has been, what would you like to learn? I'd like to learn this. I go, I've never heard of that before. Bring up Spotify or yeah. YouTube or something, listen to it and try and figure it out. Try and simplify it if if you need to. And to be able to do all of that very quickly allows the lesson to continue. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, if you're teaching in a band context, you want to be able to hear what everybody's doing hear where somebody's slightly struggling, be able to modify things. These all rely on your ears, don't they? Absolutely. And and it's kind of different for people in different phases of their learning. So if you've got a really young, inexperienced band or, or instrumentalist, they probably need you to be in a very directional, instructional place. Whereas when you get to a point where the children are actually quite sufficient on their instrument, you're trying to build a more reflective learning environment, you kind of become more like a musical director than the teacher in the room. You're yep. kind of conducting, you're maybe making musical suggestions, but actually the children are progressing themselves and you're just interjecting and I always think about that musical director role particularly when you're working with older children for example because if you think about a music, musical director or a conductor in an orchestra they don't play all the instruments they no, they, they don't, don't have knowledge of, of absolutely every single technique on every single instrument but what they do have is the ears and the eyes to watch what's going on and to be able to interpret musically some of the ideas or some of the issues that are coming up and address those and I think that's an interesting place to get to in your teaching that's an amazing place to be as a teacher yeah. to be in that musical creative director role yeah I certainly really enjoy enjoy that role it, um but it that does that does rely on you um having musical ears but being kind of more specific about it it's understanding what each instrument should be playing yeah. at a given point isn't it really and I suppose that's where a really advanced um, jazz musician could benefit from a, a teacher if the teacher's got really good ears they can hear what they're doing they could hear where the potential is yeah and then find ways of delivering an experience that's going to unlock that potential yeah whether or not they could physically do it um, themselves it's like rick rubin um record producer right yeah. legendary i mean yeah. so many incredible albums have have come from him as a producer he would probably argue they haven't come from him at all. They've come from the artists. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't play anything. He, does, he doesn't understand any of the theory or anything. He says he approaches it as a music fan. Yeah. He understands what he would enjoy hearing. And he has ways of communicating and unlocking those things from, um, from his musicians. But he still must have great ears, right? He's got to have great ears. He's got to have great ears yeah. to pull that off. And going back to what you were saying about um, it being different at different stages of the journey, that's very true. I mean, I, I do think it, it wouldn't be um, right of us to say, yes, you could be a great drum teacher not being able to play any drums yeah. whatsoever. 
when we're at the very um, beginning of the journey, you do need to be able to demonstrate the basic rudiments to give Absolutely. some sort of, um, and by rudiments, I don't mean paradiddles and things like that. I, I mean how to hold the drumstick, how to yeah. um, play, uh, you know, fundamental beats and things like that and fills. You, you do need to be able to communicate all of that stuff, really, at the, the start of the journey, don't you? Yeah, there's kind of a base level you need to get to to enable you to be in a teaching space and not in the space where you're just constantly thinking, oh goodness, I've got to demonstrate this thing that I don't know how to do. You kind of need to get to that base level point and then you can concentrate on how the information's being absorbed. Yeah, and I think for context as well, we teach primary school children how to play in bands. Yeah. You know, if your goal as a teacher was to teach uh, people up to grade five keyboard, I think it was probably pretty healthy for you to be hovering around grade seven keyboard yeah. in order to competently teach up to grade five keyboard. And the ears thing we're talking about, I think that very much applies to contemporary music, doesn't it? Yeah. Where, or student-led learning, where the student comes in and says, I want to be able to do this, please, and it's your job to facilitate that. It doesn't apply necessarily if you're uh, teaching classical uh, violin or piano. Yeah. What you really want to do then is, is help the children to read music um, and to be able to execute that really well. So that's a, a different skill set to what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we're constantly effectively working in an ensemble and that's where I think ears become crucial because you're working with more than one instrument. Whereas when you're working with somebody one-on-one, it can be slightly different. Yeah, it can. You've got a little bit more time in that yeah. uh, context as well to think about what you're going to do next and uh, and all of that sort of thing. But I think, you know, for the question of if you're teaching how good you need to be the majority of music students in the world i'm going to say are beginners and intermediates yeah um and what i would say is think about have a think about if you're thinking of going into music teaching what sort of songs um are your students going to want to learn you know what sort of genres i mean maybe you're a drummer who's really into metal you'll probably attract students who are also into similar genres Think about a few key bands, you know, can you play Enter Sandman? Do you yeah. think you could help somebody to play Enter Sandman? Smoke on the water. Smoke on the water. Do you think, <laughs> can you play it? Do you think you could uh, play it in a way that would make a beginner go, that's really cool? And do you think you'd be able to help them do the same thing? Yeah. If you can, then great. I think you've got the basic musicianship tools you probably need to, to start teaching. And you will come across students who, you know, you talked about in the last podcast Rachel students who you thought were sort of outgrowing you ability wise and and things like that and then there'll be other teachers who can help them at that point as long as you can help them to the next stage of the journey I think that's the most important thing isn't it yeah totally totally agree cool so if um you know we've got a musician who's you know competent got good ears um and has all the qualities of a role model um we then get into the teaching bit of music teacher um and I think just about everything you would need to know could be wrapped up with the word communication. Oh, yeah. Which is one word which is an incredibly deep uh, topic, isn't it? I read somewhere, as you read these statistics, which are probably made up, but it was something <laughs> like 90% of uh, people think they're in the top 10% of communicators. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, and you think about that, that's probably not true, but the thought of it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because we can all communicate, you know, to varying degrees, but we can all speak to each other. And so everybody goes, yeah, I can communicate. That's cool. We got it. Yeah. Um, but when we're talking about it in the context of teaching, um, there's probably quite a specific set of communication skills that are important. Um, what's, what sort of things are we training our 
uh, teachers in at Rocksteady communication wise? Well, I think the absolute fundamental one for me is listening. And we kind of spoke about it a little bit last week in the reading the room. And I think reading and listening and watching is fundamental. So, you know, I work with adults now and in training, in face-to-face training, what I find is that I'm listening all the time and I'm actually quite exhausted after running a training session because your brain's in listening mode for the whole time. And I think people misinterpret the kind of main purpose. There's a lot of emphasis on the content or on the lesson plan if you're teaching and actually... Yeah, these are the outcomes you want to deliver. It's, that's what we hear about all the time in yeah. education, isn't it? But actually a more effective way to approach it is, yes, the content is important, but it's about listening to how the content's being received and constantly reviewing it and trying to work out who's understanding you at what point, how to rephrase, when to take a step back and go back to something. That's all listening rather than yep. in the content. You might have a bullet, you could bullet point most things that you want to kind of communicate with people. This is the three things I want people to get out of this session. And what you really need to do as you're delivering those three bullet points is listen to how they're being received and you know in the context of teaching children music how 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 much are they comprehending do i need to slow down do i need to rephrase that am i going to need to you know show them that on something else or let them hear it in context it's all about listening and reviewing really reflectively yeah it's such a deep topic listening yeah. isn't it because um, yeah, it doesn't just mean hearing what they're saying. It means hearing what they're not saying. Yeah. Because I, I feel that our job as teachers is not to know the information and to tell someone the information. So I know how to play a power chord, right? Okay, I will show uh, this student how to play a power chord. I'll demonstrate it to them. And they're good. I've done. I've taught them a power chord. It doesn't really work like that. That's more uh, akin to lecturing, I would say. Um, you know uh, like the old school style of lecturing at at universities or I say old school maybe it's still being used it's just because I haven't been at university (laughs) in a long time (laughs) I I, I think of that as old school but you know the job of a lecturer is to stand up talk about something yeah and then it's your job to as a student to make something of that right Um, the lecturer doesn't have any responsibilities in terms of whether you've understood them or not Mm -hmm. or any of that and that's why that's probably a lot more appropriate to older uh, students you yeah. know 18 20 21 at, at university um, but it certainly wouldn't be appropriate for teaching children your job as a teacher is actually for the child to have understood what you're you're teaching them and in the in the case of music for them to actually be able to demonstrate the skill of playing a yeah. power chord so you could have explained it in your own mind and demonstrated it to the the best anybody's ever done in the world but you fundamentally haven't done your job if the student hasn't received it. And that's where listening is so important because you're always listening in advance for how does this student receive information. Like one of the first things I ever do when I I go into lessons is just ask the children what have they been up to over the weekend, how's their day going, that sort of thing. If you listen really carefully, they'll start telling you about things that are interesting them, um, what's engaging them at the moment. And you can start using all these things as anchors Mm. um, to build your explanations out of, to, um, you know, uh, ways to engage them in the content that you're then going to try and teach them. And even more than that, you could learn in that first, you know, two or three minutes that the thing that you plan to teach them actually wasn't the right thing to teach them in the first place. Something might spark and you go, actually, they're not going to be um, receptive to that thing that we were going to do today. We're going to change plans. So, um, and I think all of these things make 
you much more effective as a teacher yeah. if you can be listening in that much detail not just to what your students are saying but also even considering why are they even saying that um what does this mean about um how i'm gonna uh, conduct the lesson going forward yeah i totally agree and i think there's a lot in that first few minutes of reading the room and understanding where where they are so I was quite a young music teacher when I first started doing training events and often the room would be filled with far more senior people, far more experienced teachers and I was running these workshops and within those first five minutes you can spot the people who are a little bit cynical about what they're going to get from you and being able to address those cynics within the first five minutes, oh you guys have all been teaching for much longer than me so I'm sure you know a lot of this stuff but hopefully you'll be able to get something out of it anyway, suddenly you've addressed their instant concerns and they're going to be more willing to listen and I think it's a similar thing when you're working with children, If if they come in and all they want to talk about is how exciting their school trip is tomorrow. You can build everything around, you know what, you're going to be rock stars and you can talk all about your band on this trip tomorrow and you can relate it to, to what they've been talking about and suddenly they feel heard and yep. they're more likely to listen to you if they feel listened to. That's amazing. And that example you gave of the cynics in the room um, when you were training, that's not even listening to what people are saying, is it? That's reading yeah. body language. Yeah. Um, is, am I right in that? Is that what you were, you're doing? Yeah, yeah and I, I kind of call that listening. You are yeah. listening, but to what's not being said, and especially something that I've learned a lot working with adults is that things tend to go unsaid and you have to kind of extract it yourself. You have to start through. mining, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And whereas children are a little bit more upfront, but... The younger they are. The younger the, they yeah. are. Certainly yeah. working with teenagers is like pulling teeth. But <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> um, being able to understand that not all communication is actually spoken. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of body language, eye contact. If you've got crossed arms, they're probably not particularly feeling ready to listen if their body language is a little bit more open you might be able to have a bit more fun with it it's it's a really interesting thing to to get into and it doesn't come overnight it comes from learning and making mistakes and approaching those cynics totally wrong the first few times and then suddenly adjusting and thinking oh that worked you know yeah we've we've definitely all been there and um so sort of summarizing that then the most important communication skill has nothing to do with what you say it's all to do with what you notice absolutely and that's noticing both with your ears listening to what's being said but also just what you notice yeah about the about the students so that you can plan your um delivery what you're going to do around what their needs are in that moment really yeah because if you are a teacher you probably are quite a good outward communicator and sometimes the thing that we think we need to work on is our public speaking skills or the way we project our voice to the room. And actually, perhaps the thing that's holding us back the most is the fact that we're not listening. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So um, after we've listened and we've made some sort of assessment through that listening of what our students need, I guess our next job is to make sure that we engage our students um, because, you know, we can understand what they need. And then if we just dryly start delivering right this is what we're going to do um here's power chords um for example because we've decided this week we're going to do power chords this is a really kind of one-dimensional static example this is isn't how we go about (laughs) teaching but for the for the purposes of this podcast we're going to be teaching power chords this week to everyone including the drummers including the singers they've got to sing in (laughs) three parts in there with one voice right so beautiful yeah i know it's going to be amazing so we're 
Is that possible? Can people do that, sing them more than one note at once? There's something that I think is called African throat singing. Right. And there's a singer who sings with Snarky Puppy. Yeah. And she can do it, sing two notes at the same time, which can is she sing absolutely amazing. Could we get a power chord? I don't know. I haven't listened to it enough times, Mark, but we that should, could be we interesting. We should get, get her on the podcast <laughs> and teach us <laughs> yeah, how to do see. this. That would be awesome. Okay, cool. So we're, we're all doing power chords. We've decided that. We've listened to the room. Um, we understand that some of our students um, went to bed late last night. They're really tired. Um, some of them are really up for it. We've got to manage this this mixture of things that's going on. Um, do we just jump in and start explaining power chords straight away? I don't think we usually do. We try and think about how we're going to engage the student or students in the room um, as kind of the next core skill in communicating. Would you agree with that? Totally agree. If you stand up and just talk at people, you've probably got maybe three minutes of their attention that they'll actually listen. And that's adults, children, anybody, yeah. <laughs> your partner at home, you yeah. know, uh, you've probably got about that three minutes. So much. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm not doing. Right? Oh, okay. yeah. We're learning a lot. Mark. Yeah. Um, whereas if you can instantly ask a question, and I think some of this is a little bit instinctive. So you were talking about earlier when the children come in and you ask them how their how their weekend was. That's all engagement. Basically, engaging people is just acknowledging them. The addressing the critics thing that I said earlier that that's engaging people because you're addressing yeah. their needs. That's all part of engagement. And when I think about when I'm teaching, I ask so many questions throughout the lesson because that creates a point of engagement and. We, we kind of have a, an interesting setup where we're teaching lots of children on different instruments at the same time. So that can be quite a challenge because there might be a time when you want to focus on the keyboard players, but they uh, you ultimately don't want to lose the attention of the rest of the band. So being able to keep the rest of them engaged by saying, right, everybody, this is what the keyboards are going to do. They're going to do this amazing thing. And it fits in with your guitars like this suddenly you haven't isolated or kind of siloed who you're talking to you're engaging everybody and that's amazing for group lessons definitely yeah and um that's a specific skill in itself isn't it engaging yeah. a whole group of children playing different instruments at the same time we yeah. had to um, work on that for for quite a while to get it right um yeah. but now that we can it's it's quite a wonderful thing isn't it and yeah. we find that the children actually know how to play all the other instruments in the band because they're paying so much attention the whole time to what everybody's doing yeah um, which i think is an amazing thing because that's developing that musicianship we talked about that great set of ears they that understanding. Their ears, yeah yeah it's more than just the technical skill on the instrument it's yeah. um or the holistic musicianship that's developing um from that but it definitely applies whether you're teaching one-on-one -on -one, a group session yeah whether you're speaking to you know a thousand people about about something and you want them to learn something you need to find a way of engaging them now how you do that one-on-one -on -one is very different to how you do mm -hmm. that if you're delivering to uh, an auditorium but, but just being conscious of that that's an important skill to yeah. have in your communication you've got your listening then you've got that engagement piece yeah and it doesn't have to be a question it could be getting them to do something that is engaging them at, at the same way but you're right it's just about being aware and not leaving it too long in between points of engagement. I, I love that phrase, points of engagement. If you can create lots of different points of engagement throughout your lessons, suddenly they're transformed. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, this is really interesting, this conversation's unfolding, because um, I think if you ask most people to describe teaching, they wouldn't say listening and then asking questions. Yeah. As sort of the fundamental thing. Or if they were imagining that, you kind of imagine that in more of a um, an adult-adult environment where yeah. you're 
uh, trying to help somebody who's already well on their way and they're you know refining their skills or whatever but we actually use this with great success with five-year-olds don't we yeah very early on so we do have quite a lot of direct teaching at that stage but um it's not all uh put your fingers here play this do that it's um there's still a lot of that listening and asking questions bit isn't there yeah because that helps them take a little bit of control of their own learning if you say what note did you learn last week and they can actually say i learned a d you know that that information's been recorded somewhere and it's not you saying oh you learned a d last week didn't you yeah. suddenly it's, it's them telling you and if they don't get it right that's fine and as, as well it's all part of learning but yeah questions are massive yeah cool so you've listened you've um asked questions to engage and then the next bit is probably the demonstration and the explanation now we have something we train in rocksteady early on which is demonstration over explanation yeah um and that's a really important starting point for us with the teaching in children in a band for half an hour sort of got limited time to develop both their skills as musicians and their general musicianship and um make sure they're enjoying it so the demonstration piece for us is is pretty critical but as you become more advanced as a teacher even within rocksteady or there's different contexts for teaching um whether you choose demonstration or explanation or a mixture of both it's very context driven isn't it yeah totally there there are certain things that do need a bit of explaining i always think that the guitar is a good example of something that needs a little bit of explanation because your two hands do two very different things and suddenly just explaining this is the noisy hand that makes all the noise and this is the hand that you need to squeeze it's probably not a very good demonstration on a podcast but um it's that idea left of, hand and right hand yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah we we understand yeah. whereas sometimes with something on the keyboard you could just say right that's your note copy me and they're doing it within seconds and I think the thing that we've learned working with super young children, so we work with children that are reception, so age four or five, is that sometimes language is a barrier for learning music and being able to take that away by simply showing them what to do can be massive because that's how all of their learning has happened so far. They've learned everything from copying the people around them that they see. They've learned how to, you know, bite an apple because they've been shown you know it's a fascinating thing it is isn't it and um and that's where with the young children the demonstration thing works really well because if you think about an explanation even something as simple as uh play a white key on a keyboard that still needs to go through a process in your brain that you need to go okay i'm looking for something that's white i'm looking for a key on the keyboard and what have I got to do with it? I've got to play it. So I've got to press that button. Like there's, there's a few things going on there. Now, that's still, you know, a lot of five-year-olds could do that. But it's still a much shorter path to go do this. Yeah. And then there's a direct visual link to it. So that's that's where we really go with the demonstration over explanation. But I guess the kind of wider point for you demonstrating and explaining, once you feel you've understood what the student needs and you've engaged them, is that your explanation or your demonstration has to match the needs of the student, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, And the way you choose to explain things can have dramatic effects on how well it's received. So one thing we found um, a big part of our job because we're teaching students to play in a band is getting them to play in time with each other, right? Yeah. And we start by getting them to play on beat one. And one thing that we discovered was that if we use the words, play this at exactly the same time as I clap my hands or exactly the same time as 
I click my sticks or however you're marking the beat out for them, that's much better than to play it at the same time as. Yeah. Because at the same time as, for some reason, for a lot of children, um, can mean roughly in the same area. Now, as as musicians, we're going, well, of course, I mean exactly the same time. Yeah. But unless you actually say that, yeah. Um, how, how are they to know necessarily? So. And you're putting a lot of trust in the, those ears again. We're back on the ears, but children might not have developed those ears yet, so they might need a visual representation of when when that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, as you get more advanced in it, and we'll cover this on another podcast, you need to start tailoring your explanations as well um, to like the motivational needs of your students as well. And yeah. um, thinking about, you know, what inspires them. And that can be as, as simple as, you know, if they're, they are massive fans of Dave Grohl, for example. Yeah. Um, just saying Dave Grohl does it like this and then playing it, you've engaged, you've got the attention. And then if you say, can you do that like Dave Grohl? You'd be amazed, at, you know, how on a, on a younger child that could be really effective. And, you know, as uh, children get older or maybe have different motivations, you've got to craft your explanations very specifically to help the learning, haven't you? Yeah, and I was just thinking about that, actually. That demonstration piece as well shows them that it can be done quite often there's a fear of failure or not being able to do it and showing somebody that this is it can be done this is how it's done can be massive for that oh okay that doesn't seem as scary as that long explanation of this thing take power chords for example put this finger here put this finger here and you can only only strum these two strings suddenly once you've done that oh okay i know what you mean yeah totally and it's also about efficiency isn't it i mean if you're teaching group lessons at all whether that's you know two students three students and you've got a limited time each week you want the fastest path to getting them to understand and be able to do the thing that you're trying to help them to do and you know if if you're in a private lesson for an hour you might be able to take 10 minutes of explanation maybe it delivered value maybe it didn't deliver that much value but you know, everybody's happy. Nobody's hurt by that experience. Yeah. Whereas if you've got half an hour and you've got eight children to teach, um, you really want those explanations to be as effective as possible in the the smallest time possible, really. Um, totally. And if you're, you know, a teacher responsible for 30 children in a classroom plus, uh, this just applies even more, really. Totally. Totally agree. <laughs> From the classroom to the stage, the rock steady way. Which brings us on quite nicely to the last topic, which is about creating a learning experience. Now, um, I had an interesting discussion at a conference a few years ago where um, somebody was telling me that what was being delivered um, in their particular part of the country for contemporary music education wasn't education, it was experiences. Um, kept saying, it's, no, it's just experiential, it's not... Mm. Um, education and I was sort of scratching my head thinking about um, what he could mean by that because to me um, our job as music educators or educators generally is to create a learning experience I'm very cognizant of the experience part because I think that's how people learn in an experience not not just delivering this information but really focusing on uh, the students experience and I think you know, you can get very hung up on a lesson plan. 
mm. and going, this is what I want to teach them and I've planned um, how to meet all these different student needs, etc. But the problem is if you go in determined to deliver that plan that you've got in your in your hand, your students just represent a threat to that plan. Yeah. Because it all works perfectly on paper, right? But yeah. um, is it going to work in the room? So what you really need to be able to do is um, either build into your plan a certain degree of flexibility where you can be responsive to the needs of the students on the day. Um, and in, or in some cases, be, uh, you know, totally happy with just throwing your plan out of the window. But I, overall, I'd say that the thing is, is you've got to be responsible for the learning experience of the children or that child or that student and you've got to be responsible for managing that experience and creating that experience in real time it's not something you do in advance you might think about it in advance but in real time you've got to be doing it yeah this is fascinating because i i think i personally have learned more about teaching from working with the rock study foundation than i have in any other environment so the Rock Study Foundation is somewhere where we work with charities and children who might not normally get to experience something like Rock Study. And those environments have been, you know, severe SEN schools, they've been hospitals, they've been refugee camps. And what you've got there is this idea of what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, we try and give them a Rock Study experience and maybe they learn a song and yep. maybe they do a performance at the end. And actually on the day, what you have to be able to do is just totally react to the environment. And I found it absolutely fascinating going in and working out, okay, what what am I going to need to do? And a lot of that is reviewing where the goalposts actually are for that day. So yeah, perhaps in real time, right? In real time, yeah. You, you might have this idea. So the example I'm going to use is when we went to... Uh, a cancer ward at, at Cambridge Hospital you know the idea is that we went in and ran a load of workshops with the children and they got up and learned a song um, and there was one child who really wanted to come but had just got back from some chemotherapy so was bed bound so what we decided to do it was a sort of flash of the moment review of what is the main purpose of today is to give the children an amazing musical experience doesn't matter if they come and come together and play the song it's more about giving them a chance to experience yep. music. So we took all the instruments into her room and played some songs to her at her hospital bed and let her have a go on a keyboard. And it was just amazing. And had I been rigid, oh, she can't come to this workshop. I mean, this is obviously a very yeah, emotional, course, yeah. extreme example, but it kind of demonstrates the point that sometimes you need to rethink what the actual purpose of your lesson is. What is the purpose? What is the end goal, the experience that you're aiming for? And maybe you've got an idea of how to get there, but you might have to take a scenic route and, yeah. you know, you might experience flooding as we are at the moment on, on the drive and have to derail a little bit. But if you know what the ultimate aim is, and I think that's about the purpose, that's the why are you doing it yeah. in the first place? Why have you come up with this amazing plan in the first place? And then whatever you need to do to get to that why is, is the best way to do it. And it's definitely something that you learn from experience with teaching, just being able to throw lesson plans out the window um, in a way that doesn't derail what the children learn eventually, but in a way that's right for them at that point in time. That's a, it's a real skill that you learn over time. Yeah, right for them on the day. And um, well, we talked about on the last podcast, didn't we, the two core things that um, music lessons need to have yeah. is they need to be fun, they need to be enjoyable, and the student needs to make progress. Yeah. Right? So if you hold that up as your sort of big why, you know, the student might turn up on the day not ready for what you've planned. Um, and that can be disheartening if you've put a lot of time into your, your yeah. plan. 
but it's it's having the ability to recognize that and going okay how can i keep this enjoyable and make progress and i i don't know i th- i think it's a lot of experience but um you do make these sort of rapid almost calculations on the fly don't you about yeah. what direction should we take this in especially if you've got more than one student in your group so that everybody can have fun and progress at the same time it's a it's a real art form but i think it's an essential part to being a teacher because you could have somebody with all of the rest of the skills there who if they were allowed to make a great lesson plan and deliver that and that was always guaranteed to work perfectly um would do really well but unless you can do that um i mean I, it sort of falls under the category of what we call responsive energy management doesn't yeah. it um we have proactive energy management where we're trying to anticipate ahead of time what what's going to work best and then responsive so in the moment being able to um you know change direction very quickly um i think it's essential and one thing i saw you know from my time in education when i was doing music teaching in the classroom was just far too much emphasis being put on these plans and you know if you've done your planning right everything should work in my experience and i would say most teachers that doesn't always hold up does it as the most important element absolutely it was probably quite an interesting challenge for any teacher regardless of whether you're teaching one on one or in a group to to try and do a lesson that's slightly less prepared or yeah. where you let the children lead you and you have to think on the fly because you probably learn more from again it's it's an experience for yourself learn more from that experience of oh, actually I could kind of make it up on the fly a little bit here and actually yeah. they they learned that thing that I was talking about without me even necessarily aiming for it it obviously depends a little bit on what you're teaching and where the children are in their learning but I think it's a really great thing just to even be aware of you know we spoke about this last week um, on the last podcast sorry where it's all about an awareness and I think that's a really important part of being a teacher is being aware yeah that ties very closely to your listening doesn't it it does yeah yeah because if if you're listening then you're probably aware yeah um but that really is for me the overarching job of the music teacher is to create a learning experience if you do that successfully then your students are going to learn so those communication skills in the middle the the listening the engaging and the demonstrating and explaining those are kind of your tools but your overarching responsibility is to create that learning experience i'd say okay so to tie this all together uh, let's talk about an example of a great teacher here at rocksteady um, Luke Hoey was probably our yeah. longest serving band leader. Um, he was in the classroom for six and a half years and um, he now works with you at the academy, doesn't he, Rachel? Yeah, he's now uh, working on the at- academy team with Tom and Jason. Yeah, so what's Luke's job now, now that he's not teaching? So he's supporting band leaders out there on the field. So I can't think of anybody better to support band leaders out on the field with their questions and little training needs that come up than somebody like Luke who's been teaching and involved in that environment for so long. Okay, great. So let's talk about um, Luke in... uh, Sorry, Luke, he doesn't know that we're talking about him yet, but hopefully he'll be (laughs) pleased about everything (laughs) that we say about him. I mean... Luke, uh, yeah, he's, he's been in the company now for seven years. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember, because, um, I mean, I read his job application, there was 
about five people in the company at the time. He had his interview in my living room because my living room was also head office <laughs> back in the at day. At the time, and he also probably had the longest first interview anybody's ever had at Rocksteady because he came around for the interview, and uh, we then had a, a concert that night for some students about an hour away from where I lived, and. I just said, Did you, do you want to come? And he went, yeah. He said, I thought, I can't Amazing. say no to a potential future boss, which is really <laughs> funny. So whether he wanted to or not, I don't know. But he came along and he was really helpful um, yeah. at, the, at the concert for the students as well. And, you know, happily um, got the job. But let's, let's talk about, Luke, in the, the context of the different things we've talked about. We've talked about teachers needing to be a great role model. Um, Rachel, how have you seen Luke, you know, actively demonstrate the behaviours and the things um, that students would aspire to. Luke Hoey is possibly one of the most helpful people in the world. Um, he is able to listen to people's problems and he's very reactive in how he responds to those. And I think if you imagine that in the classroom, and I, I was lucky enough to see Luke teach a lot, it's that listening piece. He's so aware of his own knowledge, his own knowledge gaps, that he is willing to learn and willing to share absolutely every bit of information that he has with anybody. There's no kind of guarded, this is this is my knowledge, I know this, I will only share it with yeah. you. He's happy to share it with anyone. I mean, we used to call him the WhatsApp king because he was the person to reply quickest every single time to anyone's question. So that ability and want to share what he knows is is hugely inspiring i remember um richard our head of tuition saying to me that luke's not necessarily the most amazing drummer in the company but that he thinks luke is the most amazing drum teacher and that's a really fascinating thing that's a compliment isn't it exactly yeah yeah so what's the difference between being an amazing drummer and being an amazing drum teacher it's a, it's a fascinating thing. We'll have to ask Luke his secrets. <laughs> we'll have to ask Luke, yeah. What's he going to think about this? He's not the most amazing drummer. But hang on, you are the most amazing Richard drum teacher. It. Richard said it. Okay, we, we can get Richard on and ask him to explain himself if, if there's problems <laughs> here. Um, cool. And, um, you know, I, I've heard lots of stories. I had a parent come to me um, and explain how Luke um, really changed their child's life. Um this, this particular child had um, quite a few um, learning difficulties and social anxieties around them. And um, Luke had noticed that this child did a really good job of checking in on everybody in his band and making sure everybody was comfortable, everybody was feeling okay, you know, demonstrating a, a certain type of leadership quality there. Yeah. And so Luke really... Um, praise this child for that um, and honed in on his ability to be the glue that held the band together um, and this child did a, a great job of learning the drums because Luke had anchored all of his communications and praise around those things that the child was doing well which was nothing even to do with his music or what he was playing yeah. and that's a great example of listening mm -hmm. engaging and then changing your explanations to suit that child um specifically and that's just one child i mean luke has taught hundreds and hundreds of children over the years yeah. and you know you see examples of him doing this sort of thing all over the place absolutely and we are so lucky to have so many great teachers out there and these stories sort of happening every single day but you know somebody like yeah, we're picking on luke today yeah, aren't we we? Are. We'll, yeah other teachers out there will pick on you next I yeah. Think. yeah but the thing somebody like luke it's, he's been here six and a half years he's become very much part of the furniture at rocksteady and a lot of these stories are ingrained in everybody yeah absolutely so 
not the best drummer in the world and a piece of furniture. Or did you say part of the furniture? What was <laughs> part that? of no. the furniture, not a piece of furniture. <laughs> so sorry, Luke. Don't know. We're saying all good things, right, aren't we? Yeah, we are, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, then the, the fourth part, so we've got the role model um, being a musician and communicating. And then there's um, creating a learning experience. Now, I've seen Luke go way out of his way to create amazing learning experiences um, for the children. I mean, every week he's been, every week, for a week, every year, yeah. um, he's been at Portsmouth Guildhall um, with his own bands, with uh, bands uh, from other teachers locally, um, helping the children to have the experience of playing live at Portsmouth Guildhall, which is, you know, one of the biggest music venues in, in the south of England. Um, I remember seeing him with a band there one year uh, playing a One Direction song, um, and there's this sort of um, breakdown bit in the verse where there's just the vocal, like the rest of the band stops and the rest of the band kick in. And when the rest of the band kicked back in, the the whole audience just cheered massively oh, um, wow. for this group of, uh, you know, nine, ten-year-olds. And I just remember seeing that thinking, what an experience you yeah. are giving these children. And as musicians, we know, they say that you learn as much from one gig as ten rehearsals. Yeah. Just just imagine having that experience as a you know a 10 year old that it would be incredible what a feeling, yeah yeah um so you know we, we've seen luke go way out of his way to craft these learning experiences as we said earlier always pushing himself to see if he can create new ones and sometimes that not working and being able to back out of it and uh and modeling that as well so thank you luke i think that just about covers it i mean we could go on for a long time and go into a lot of detail about what makes a, a great music teacher. I mean, um, you know, uh, we put so much time and energy into it here and yeah. there's several people in the company's full-time jobs to find great find music right teachers yeah. and, uh, you know, constantly reconsider, you know, what the briefs are for that. And, you know, it's your job to, to come up with and train um, all these music teachers. So we, we could go on for a long time. We but could. I think, you know, as an overview... Um, a great music teacher is a role model. Um, they're somebody that people want to learn from, I think. And that's really, um, that's a quality, isn't it? That's not necessarily a skill that you could learn. I mean, I don't think we've got a prescription or a training course for being a great role model, have we? No, and I think that's not necessarily even just a music teacher thing. I think that's a teacher thing. To be a great teacher, you need to be a great role, role model. Cool. Yeah, definitely agree with that one. Um, So, yeah, you need to be a great role model. Um, You need to be a musician. You certainly need to be a musician in the um, eyes of your students. Um, You want a little bit of headroom so that you're a little bit ahead of where the student is. At least you might be a long way ahead, but but you need to be ahead a bit. At the very least, you need to have very good ears so that you can be a great musical director in, you know, a lot of the contexts that um, we teach in. Um, You need um, to be a strong communicator with listening skills, engaging skills and good demonstration and explaining skills. Um, And overall, on top of all of it, you need to be able to craft to create a great learning experience um, for your students to do your job well. Um, so that sums it up yeah, from easy. us, That's us easy, today. That's it? easy, yeah. Just, yeah, just go luck. out and do all of that and the world will be full <laughs> of great music teachers. Um, um, but we'll uh, cover uh, more on all this stuff, I'm sure, um, as, the, as the series goes on. Absolutely. Cool. You've been listening to the Rocksteady Way podcast, brought to you by Rocksteady Music School. You can find out more or just say hello at rocksteadymusicschool.com where you'll find links to all of our socials. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like or subscribe to get more content from Rocksteady Music School. From the classroom to the stage, the Rocksteady way.